we can think about liberty, but what is your liberty? My my liberty begins and ends what yours begins and ends. Yep. So it's subjective. It's highly subjective because I can feel free of doing whatever I want as long as my actions don't jeopardize yours. And the same goes to you towards me. But what happened when those ideas intersect and those freedoms are no longer neither yours or mine. So where they go? Are you free to continue moving forward or not? So it's almost like a philosophical question. Yeah. And, I, and it's impossible really to answer because that freedom is only in existence if we accept it or we deny it. And it's just in that limit in which it really exists. So we can only talk about it and we can only try to be a better person toward the next one in order to coexist like in a parallel line of freedom for both and the liberties of both. Otherwise, it doesn't work. Welcome to Insights of an Echo Artist. My name is Joana Lerco. I'm an echo artist and arts writer. In every episode, I bring worldwide artists that embody the fight to create a more sustainable world. Hello, hello, everyone. Thank you so much for being here with me today. Today's podcast is a, b- a bit more <laughs> heavy than usual. But in the modern world, we are constantly bombarded with news of social and political unrest, environmental crisis and ongoing conflicts that affect millions of people around the globe. And to be honest, at times it can feel overwhelming to confront the harsh realities of t- today's world. However, it is precisely in these moments that artists like the one we have today, Hernando Rico Sanchez, play a critical role. Through their work, they provide a means of processing and reflecting on the complex emotions and issues facing our world. The work Hernando does stands out as a powerful reflection of the violence and conflict that continues to shape our world. Through his art, He gives voice to those affected by violence and explores the emotional response and social responsibility that come with living in a society marked by conflict. Having witnessed violence firsthand as a child in Colombia in the time of the Medellin and Cali cartel and when he moved to America in the 9-11, his pieces reflect a historical perspective that promises to endure providing a realistic voice for the people affected by the ongoing conflicts and how sometimes they just become too used to this violence and desensitized to what's happening around them. His work uses a mixture of color and visual motifs to to convey these deep emotional responses. And although his images sometimes suggest negative space, the complexity of his colors never fade, and his soft and tangled shapes express the language and sensibilities of the human spirit. Through a range of mediums, including oil, plaster, digital mediums, photography, metal, wood, watercolor, and paper, he highlights the authoritarian dimension of the human condition in his two-dimensional and three-dimensional pieces. His profound statement of compassion is noted, and his work invites the viewer into a dialogue that is both haunting and mesmerizing. This conversation today might be complex, but it is worth to hear the perspective of someone who 
witnessed firsthand conflict and dealt with it through his art and explored through his whole life how conflict and politics and social unrest shapes people and created art out of it to understand his own views and explore concepts of freedom, slavery, and what humans can do in the midst of conflict. So this conversation is very important to hear. And it was a pleasure to have him on and to hear his, his ideas and the way he explores so deeply the concepts he works on. So let's dive in. Are you good? You feeling good? Are you ready? Yeah. yeah? yeah. <laughs> okay, and then thank you so much for being here. Let's just start by you telling us a bit about your background and studies and what kind of education or training helped you develop your approach to art. First of all, I'm Colombian. I had my education in different places, in Colombia, United States, and Spain. Uh, I began to work in the arts or explore the arts as a young person back in school. Uh, different teachers began to introduce me to the arts, allowed me to explore different mediums, to really play with different options, sculpture, painting, theater. Uh, my school was an experimental school, so it gave me a free range to really evolve and research different aspects of what I was interested in, in within the arts. We also saw the regular classes and all that, uh, but I definitely have a freedom in terms of looking into the arts. I was able to have about seven hours a week just of doing painting and working in the art classroom. And we also had about four hours of graphic design that I was able to, to tap into my art classes and really dive into different aspects of, of what I was looking for as a young person. And then I began to really get um, uh, involved with different artists. One of them was Francisco Ruiz and another one was Rodrigo Carvajal in Colombia. Uh, they allowed me to explore a little bit what was composition, color theory, working in the studio, and, and began to, to get a little bit more hands-on on what was being a, a real artist, not just simply someone, someone exploring uh, different mediums of different dams. As this process goes on, I finally did the jump into the United States and I was accepted at the, uh, the Art Student League. In there, I last uh, about a year and a half, two years working with Larry Poons. I, was, I began to really develop a good sense of what was the human form and doing a little bit of mixed media endure what was the art scene in New York City. Start to looking for galleries, I started looking to what's happening out there, kind of getting my sense of what was this world of art that I was hearing about, but didn't really know about very much. It was very young. But I wanted to have, you know, you come from a home in which they told you always you have to get a degree, you have to really study. So that's still kind of resound on the back of my head and say, well, just uh, a certification will not work. So I had to, I joined Kane University in which I uh, didn't finish my BFA as a fine art, had a fine art degree in studio art specifically. Mm, from uh, And I used most of the classes for fine arts, like painting, uh, two-dimensional, three-dimensional classes to not do much of the class was required, but to begin to develop an idea of the work I wanted to start doing. And that is yeah. when I began to yeah. to build up a collection. 
of works that wasn't anything to do what the teacher actually was asking for but fortunately they went with it and i and accepted it and i was able mm -hmm. to begin mm -hmm. to develop a small body of work that i began to show uh actually in europe not here in the united states in the united states not many people was interested in my work at that time and i began to have echo either in spain in greece and denmark and some of the works went all the way to turkey so that allowance, that freedom of being able to kind of mix things up a little bit as I was doing my my education and may able to make mistakes and explore and dip my foot into different galleries, different sceneries, allow me to really start constructing this idea and this personality that I became later on as, as an artist. Uh, and then I jumped into Spain and I did my master's degree in museology. And which would okay, give me okay. the other aspect of the art, which was more technical understanding what was to make a show happen, to really start constructing uh, the writing part of the of the art, not just simply making the images and the structures and all this, but beginning to put things on paper, understanding how to build up, connect, and create it, a, an actual show. And from there, I start dipping a little bit into creating and developing other aspects of my career. So when you you talked about at the beginning you start you started exhibiting in Europe can you tell us what was your visual composition how was it different from your current one it was a slightly more abstract it was more uh, figures that were kind of deconstructed it's still figurative figurativism uh, but deconstructed more into an abstraction of the figure that was more accepted into the galleries of the time in particular in Spain and, and Greece those works still you can see some of that work into the work I do today into the backgrounds a little bit echoes of that there were looking more into the development of this idea of really deep into the political structures that I wanted to really uh, talk about on my work. Very, very, how I put it, those works wasn't really deep into the political aspects or really, really into any ecological aspects of work, but it was more exploratory looking back into what I was, what I was living and responding emotionally to, to the canvas. Uh, and that was well taken at the time in Europe. Meanwhile, here wasn't really looking up to. Okay. When did you start working on the themes of denouncement of the violence in Colombia and in the West and in many other countries? That's a work that I began to develop later on, I will say around two. 201 really seriously about it's a thematic that i always have in mind uh, i come from country of colombia as i said before like many colombians i grew up in this uh, all through the 80s and 90s which was part of time in which the guerrilla warfare was going on uh, and the height of it as well the war against drugs or the drug the drug lords like the cartel of medellin and the, uh, the cali cartels uh, which really marks many people in colombia uh, many of the discourses and writing and painting and music have a lot of echoes of what was happening uh, in terms of political and sociological aspects of the country. It really echoes in many different uh, places. With that baggage behind me, um, I grew up in a home in which my father was from the left, from one of the left parties, the Communist Party, for to be precise. And um, I saw many people come and go to my table people who might be eating today and two days later will show up in a newspaper as being killed. I saw 
as a child witnessed many different mm, bombs going on in the streets. Uh, we saw constantly be exposed on the news or in the newspapers of the upheaval that was happening in the country. I wasn't a kid that was out in the country living the war uh, as it was, but we also, in the cities, we definitely got exposed quite a lot to what was happening all across the country. Also, my family was very interested in politics. So we always have a feedback and a conversation and within those walls about what's happening, what is what happening. Uh, we're very critical of, not from the guerrilla perspective and from the government perspective. It wasn't only just, no, you have to think this way. It was allowed to, to make questions and allowed to questioning what happening with the government as well, what, what, why those actions taken by the guerrilla warfare was happening. So as a kid, you were exposed to this, say that this violence, and but then you had this more conceptual and critical thought-provoking atmosphere at home. How did you respond as a kid to these two environments? That's a hard question to answer. As a kid, how I respond to it? I I was I was always a child that was very reactive to anything around me. I didn't accept quite easily to be told what to do. I was more impulsive. I always went out whenever I want to and trying to discover things by myself and do things by myself. I was part of a group of, uh, of kids from my school that we initiate uh, along with the Mennonite, Mennonite Church a dialogue with the government that was about having the right of not having a military service as an obligation, but as an alternative. So we Colombians have to serve. That cannot be avoided. But we wanted to not be a service that goes directly to the military, but have an alternative for those uh, that are younger and could have an alternative to the services. So from that came a service that was to the police, to the national police. From that point on, many kids began to be able to serve the year of service for the country on the police forces instead of the military. Okay. And we, uh, with this group of kids, as well with others, we sit down in front of the constitutional court, protested, asked for the, for this right. I went also to the police in jail and meet people in there that was affected by this and rulings because in the initial time in which we were working on this wasn't accepted. And you are been taken there and ask you to please, you're gonna serve the country or not? If you deny that you don't want it to do, you will be put in jail. That wasn't openly accepted, but it was happening. We went there, we visited some of the people who was put in jail because they were trying to make practice of their objection, of their conscience objection. Through that process, the country did change those laws and allow from that point on that. I think that was around 1998, 97, that began to, to implement an alternative ser military service, which was guided to the police that is still used today. I also, when it came to the United States, uh, kind of moving away a little bit from from the life of, of Colombia, kind of trying to find a different, yeah, a different life, a different perspectives on, on life and not simply continue to be in a Colombia that was so conflicted for one side because I was feeling that wasn't an opportunity for growth as a professional artist and another side because I was uh, trying not consciously I will say this I think this is an afterthought uh, many years later that I was kind of moving away from that that I was experiencing in there although as I say before I wasn't directly affected by it but I was witnessing yeah. it 
all the time. And I understood that more clearly uh, when 9-11 happened here in the United States. And suddenly I see myself kind of questioning people, why are you so affected about it? This is just another bomb going on in a building that's falling off and falling down. It's not something that doesn't happen somewhere else. And then suddenly click on my head, hey, this is so, so you are so desensitized and they're not really processing what just happened. It's two towers coming down in the middle of the heart of the United States under attack. And my head is not thinking in that. My head is thinking, oh, well, it's another one. Yeah, it's just normal. The, the acceptation and the normalization of what a conflict of uh, of, an, of a violent action into a society becomes normalized. Uh, I have also the opportunity to travel to Spain. I was already I was scheduled to travel, and that the attacks in a touch in a touch station happened. So we land there the day the day following the attack, and be able to see and contrast the reaction of the Ameri of the North American people and the Spanish people uh, against the, those type of actions was amazing. Uh, seeing a country united saying, no, we do not accept this, as Spain was, because all the country was on the streets, to, in contrast to the United States, which you see a group of peoples coming out in different cities yeah. saying no, but not a country as a whole screaming, no, this is unacceptable. That wasn't what you're feeling. And I arrived post to London after the, the attackers on the buses uh, two days after. I was going to visit a cousin, and we happened to land two days after the attack. So we had I I always kind of thinking, well, I kind of running into all these mm, mementos in history. Yeah. Yeah. I need to talk about. I need to continue working on these aspects because it's a constant mark on my life. It wasn't something just simply casual. I constantly landing on those momentos in those spaces and able to witness and see how the reaction of people was uh, beginning to connect those reactions and those views also to the political aspects that were surrounding uh, all the situations. One is um, political. The other part is social migration and inequality. Um, that is definitely something that is touching in each one of my works. Yeah, you are followed by this, these events of violence. And then there is something you mentioned in our last conversation that most of the, the women figures in your painting present hope. Can you talk a bit about this idea? This idea comes about because I do perceive women as a catalyzer of change. When I start seeing women going into power structures, uh, call them into a as a president or into a company, uh, even though into social structures where the women become to be more pronounced, I see changes. Once because, well, naturally, you, you, you ladies are able to bring life. And by tradition, you guys kind of give the beliefs, the structure, and you can call it religion or you can call it social beliefs, whatever. But you cannot instaurate that in the child. By that position, you always have the opportunity to begin to change that, sh that shape on the person and educate someone to alter what is already an existency. Uh, when, uh, when I put these figures into my work, it's exactly because of that because I see it as, as a light of hope, because men most of the time are in the background. They're the ones who either will come and, and put this kind of structure around, but don't really collaborate as much into educating the kid. It's just living up to the woman uh, historically. 
that has been changing slowly nowadays. Now we see dads a little bit more involved in the process of educa educating the children, some of them taking the place of the mother uh, in, uh, in certain countries and it's in certain occasions. But traditionally, that's been the, the women role. And I perceive it as a possibility of change. It's that momentum in which we can really work out a little girl or a little boy to understand the world a little bit different. And that begins from home. And then we can translate that into the school system and into the society. Therefore, when I put these images, I began to deconstruct it, to put them in, in forms that can be perceived or presented either, either by color, by positioning or compositioning to translate into something uh, similar to that. When did you start this line of thought? I, I have this perception of women. I think it's coming all my life. I saw my grandmother raising a family. I never knew my grandfather. So I saw my grandmother working and bringing a family up my uncle supporting my my grandmother and working as a family to bring their to bring it up together and then my mother also divorced when i was very little and i saw a woman that just study work hard and build up a family out of pure hard work and putting her foot forward and moving along so I saw changes. I saw no. I didn't saw a traditional woman. I saw a woman that wasn't willing to give up. I saw a woman that was willing to give the fight in order to bring a family ahead, and and bring her her own life forward. Not simply accepting that I needed to be this. This is what I'm supposed to be in society. Now she escalated across uh, her own career, and I always look at that as has changed because traditionally you're supposed to be just this person who follows, bring your head down and accept whatever is told. And that wasn't the case uh, with my mother. And I saw many women like this across my life. I, and I always appreciative of that. Uh, and as I see also the fight of women for the rights, and I see the fight of women to, to really prolong uh, their vision of life which is not simply following behind a man and be a good wife, but actually be accepted as a human being and as a person and someone who have a thought and a capacity of being part of a society, of a society not simply be an element or an object in, within the society. So is this something that you want that your audience understands when they look at your paintings? I hope so. Also, we had the amazing opportunity to partner with sound artist Annabelle Galea, who created the sounds that you hear during the conversation. You're gonna hear and listen to her work during this season, so go give her your love and support. I will leave the link in the description so you can find her. In your artistic statement, you mentioned that your collection of works is not to shock or provoke, but sweep the naked truth from inside. What do you mean by this? Mm, it's, an, it's very interpretative because I feel that in today's society, we have a really rapid news cycles and everything runs really quick. And it's difficult to really capture what is really happening. And the truth becomes to be very futile. And it's not, so everything now becomes fake news. Or mm, this wasn't really what I, I, I mean it. So I feel that we need sometimes to stop a little to really look back and, and really begin to absorb that reality. 
look for, in different newscasts in different places, read, research, and bring that idea and form a personal idea of what really is happening. What is the truth behind what we're actually observing? And that's why I put that, that part in that statement, because it's, it's a necessity to really begin to observe, to kind of decant what we're consuming from the news into what in reality is happening because it's nothing but an opinion of someone on a newscast, on a newspaper, and somebody else coming through Facebook and tell you something different, and then somebody else come on Twitter and throw, and throw you something else, and then you get lost or begin to just simply enclose yourself on one vision of the world. Uh, let's say here in the United States, you become to follow just Fox News and everything else is fake yeah. or vice versa. If you go into CNN or MSNB, uh, whatever people follows, then it gets really clustered into that view of the world and, and really becomes fractured. You need to, uh, I prefer to look in, in different directions constantly, have different opinions that collide, that confront, and, and kind of find a thread that can hopefully lead you to a, some type of truth or a little, or at least at a consensus of what is really happening. So your process as an artist and for your works, you take information from different media sources. You believe that looking only at or understanding and believing only on one source of information creates a world without any anything more than that. So it's it's a bubble. How would you say that? you create that on your artworks, that this idea in terms of visual composition. A couple of weeks ago, I was actually in the opening of one uh, of an exhibition in which one of my works is included on. And a person came by and she says, I really like your works because it's a really complicated layering of images that they are on your work. And it always keeps you looking and discovering different things and within the painting or call the painting called a uh, digital work, but it's always something else to find in there. And that's because of that perception of perception of, of having to put different ideas together because maybe the first one doesn't really follow up into what I was thinking in that instance and the conversation between the canvas or the computer uh, as I work something up, it becomes to be bidirectional. I put the first image and then I might take a little break and I see it is not really convincing me. So I start ledgering, but I never remove something out of it. I, and then the, the images begin really overlapping and telling a story that goes a little bit deeper. So it gives the opportunity okay. to the viewer not, not just to come once and see the work and say, oh, yeah, nice, it's cute, and walk away. But the opportunity to come back sometimes and discover something else. And that's something that I really like. Might discover a person, might discover, oh, he has this little object in it. So the iconography in, within the work is important for me to be able to manage and really send a message out. And that is particularly easy to observe uh, in the digital work I do. They have a lot of ledgering on it. Uh, and the paintings is also appearing more and more as, the, as I grow up in the painting, because it's not my my first medium, but it's the one I prefer to work on because it always challenged me. So it's, it's, it's becoming more and more layered and more and more complicated uh, in the terms of construction and composition. 
Yeah. And also, I remember you mentioned that because your topics are very heavy and you want to draw in the viewer to understand or to, to absorb the message you're trying to portray. So you start to using color. Yes. When you see the, my paintings and my digital work, in contrast to my three-dimensional work, you see uh, a very black and white break. Okay. The three-dimensional work is kind of monochromatic. And the two-dimensional work is full of color. And colors, they usually are more lively. They are more prone to kind of attract the person and, and give it a little confrontation in terms of what the topic is and what the colors might evoke. So when I see colors, I think on emotions. And to manipulate the emotion on the person in contrast to the topic when we're talking about violence, a person dying, uh, a group of uh, individuals in the canvas, they are suffering or they're person dying on the bottom of the canvas and then another person how might be might be looking like it's like it's being kidnapped or it's just wondering don't really know what is happening in those terms but once you put the color it kind of start making more sense and the emotions begin to work sometimes it's in the unconscious sometimes more bit more maybe more conscious but i think the color gives you the opportunity to really play with that with that sense of emotion Also, if you are an artist and want to be featured on the magazine, go to the page, submit your work on our website and see the required steps. We hope to see your work. Yeah, I totally agree with that because if it's everything is heavy from the colors to the subject, people will not understand it and probably just disregard yeah. it completely. <laughs> So can you tell us a bit about your sculpture collection? Because in terms of aesthetic composition, they are quite different, as you are as you were mentioning. So can you talk a bit about it? Yeah, the sculptures is a body of work that I began to work a long time ago. Each piece has taken me time uh, because I have to digest it. Uh, digest it? Yeah, I have to digest it as, yeah. I, pro as I process what I'm doing in them. Yep. Uh, because most of them has to do either... With kidnapping, the lack of freedom, slavery, human trafficking, problem with drug addiction. So there are topics that I don't take lightly. I like to research them. I like to understand them. I like to really get a little bit below the surface and, and begin to really process it. So that's why you see a lot of deep greens, uh, almost a patina, a bronze patina on it, uh, and enclosures, uh, images that might not tell you immediately is about uh, slavery because slavery is also combined with the trafficking of people and today's because the two and my in, in my position I think the two are the same you trafficking mm -hmm. people because you want to slavery either in the sexual slave or you want to make make them work for free or make them work work for a little 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 wage and at the end of the day, they're just simply a slave of somebody. Uh, in those terms, this, this three-dimensional pieces really come looking for a punch. That's where the shock really comes to be. When I construct maybe and one of the exhibitions I did, I had a confessionary like from the church with the spikes coming from the bottom and a mirror in the top and a camandula who comes like you come into 
to ask for forgiveness, but you have to lay on your knees over spikes and having to see yourself uh, as a protest of your ideas, of your beliefs, of what you see in your own self towards the world. You also see a sculpture that has just a face and is entrapped in a glass box and in within like a mirror, uh, a, not a mirror, a window with bars is evoking to the people who's been taken away, either by kidnapping or in prison for no reason. Uh, so it's challenging a little bit the, the idea of what liberty is and what your freedom might be and what has happened in society in the past on today and respite yeah. to the future because many of these problems hasn't changed and continue to be a problem in society. So what's, what's for you the true meaning of freedom? True meaning of freedom. Oh, God, Lord. Hit me harder. <laughs> aye, aye. <laughs> that is freedom. We can think about liberty, but what is your liberty? My, my liberty begins and ends what yours begins and ends. Yep. So it's subjective. It's highly subjective. Because I can feel free of doing whatever I want as long as my actions don't jeopardize yours. And the same goes to you towards me. But what happened when those ideas intersect and those freedoms are no longer neither yours or mine? So where do they go? Are you free to continue moving forward or not? So it's almost like a philosophical question. Yeah. And, I, it, it, and it's impossible really to answer because that freedom is only in existence if we accept it or we deny it. And it's just in that limit in which it really exists. So we can only talk about it and we can only try to be a better person toward the next one in order to coexist like in a parallel line of freedom for both and the liberties of both. Otherwise, it doesn't work. Yeah, so you'd say freedom is is a concept that it evolves, it can be shaped by your ideologies, the person you are. It's not a, a concept that is completely solid. No, not at all. It, it cannot be solid because it, if you t if you look at it from a religious perspective, they observe their freedom upon what the the scripture says. But if yeah. you look at from a person who does not believe it. The scripture is mm, coeving your freedoms. And the other person will say, no, I'm, as, I'm absolutely free because I believe in God. Yeah. And then it's, it's completely subjective to the vision of each individual. Therefore, like if we think in the war of Iraq or Iran, we were actually doing a war against really people, but a war of beliefs. Yeah, yeah that's totally true, yeah. Which can never be won. Yeah, unfortunately, that's a dire thought to think about that. But it's, it is true, the relig religion and freedom, sometimes they collide in some way because some people would say that religion is, a, is shackles, is constriction, you know, because you follow a script rules and mm -hmm. that is not the definition of freedom or not our definition of freedom in terms of being in America or in Europe. When we talk about freedom is and liberty, it's always topics that you're going to have to go to the philosophical path of it you can't be completely 
rational or emotional it's 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 a very complicated topic to talk about because of that because you cannot be completely rational and you cannot be completely emotional and when you have the two together it's difficult to to have an answer or a concrete answer about it yeah but that's for why you see in constitutions many times yeah when they talk about freedom it's a not a, mostly a number of rules to be followed to create the, the the idea of freedom what is the sensation of freedom because it's about what you feel what you perceive is is that freedom and to achieve that you need to allow the person to be so the person can actually move and achieve that freedom that is being promised yeah. but is that yeah, a promise free. yep yep I hope you have enjoyed this conversation. I think we ended in, let's say, a worthy note, meaning that is, it's enough for today <laughs> to process uh, all this information. We're going to have the part two coming very soon. So I hope to see you there. Also, don't forget to write us and let us know what you think about this podcast and the ones before and how we can improve. We really, really appreciate it.